1: He cares so much about people that he won't quit on them.
0: Never, he just doesn't quit on people, no matter what they do or how bad they are. So people wanted to
1: follow him. When I was getting close to uh, 10, 11, 12, I could tell that there's turmoil in my house. So I blamed God. Man, I needed someone to love me. I needed some help. We would jump people. Steel stuff went on a roller coaster ride with drugs and alcohol and women and violence. They gave me a one to ten year sentence in state prison and this was the beginning of a new
0: life as I started to sober up. It's not just a name, it's a way of life. Set Free was that piece that was missing for a lot of people where they finally felt I'm home. Hello and welcome to the Matt's Movie Reviews podcast. I am your host Matthew Perkovich and this is episode number 321. Releasing February 5 on digital is Set Free Posse, a documentary that delves into the controversial life of Pastor Phil Aguilar and his Set Free ministry, that during the 90s drew thousands from the fringes of society to his weekly sermons. Featuring unparalleled access to Aguilar and unseen archive footage, Set Free Posse attempts to tell the true story of a once prominent megachurch and its leader. And joining me now on the Matt's Movie Reviews podcast is the director of Set Free Posse, David Trotter. David, I thank you very much for joining me today.
1: Oh, thanks so much, Matt. It's great to be with you. So
0: I think my first question is, just looking back in this documentary, and you you mentioned it off air, it's been a while since this film came out. Initially, the release was 2017. And, you know, I talked to a lot of independent filmmakers and I know distribution especially can be very hard in regards to getting films out there. Um, the film will be released again on Fed5. It's going to be all over the place. Um, Amazon, Tubi, Roku, a lot of places. Um Was there a release uh, previously when when the first, like years ago, and then it went off the, you know, went off the the, uh, horizon, so to speak? Or was this always been a kind of like a bit of a struggle to get this movie out there?
1: Actually, we put it on Amazon ourselves. Uh, This is my third of four films that I've produced and directed. And so I, I had an awareness of how to get it up on Amazon. And so I did that. Just as a way to kind of get it out there, as I was seeking distribution, I knew that that's kind of a no-no. You know, they don't want you to put it up somewhere as you're seeking distribution. But I kind of went against the grain, mm. and then of course the distribution company just asked us to take it down off Amazon um, when we began the relationship, and uh, now of course they're they're kind of getting it out as far as wide, far and wide as they can.
0: And it's a good thing, too, because it's such a fascinating subject and fascinating documentary, and I, I mentioned in my uh, intro there that the film is about the set-free um, um, ministry and Pastor Phil Aguilar, and he's such a charismatic man, such a fascinating man. Um, it's the first time I ever came across him is your documentary. Of course, being here in Sydney, Australia, his reach, I don't think, back in the 90s would have gone that far, even though I'm pretty sure the Trinity Network, which he appeared on, might have appeared here in Australia at that time, not 100% though. But when did you first hear about Phil? Um, Did you come across him recently or was he someone that you actually knew of um, back uh, in the
1: 90s? You know, I was going to a Christian college starting in 1991 here in Southern California. And some of my friends said, Hey, we've got to go to this church that is just so crazy. You've got to go check this out. And so, we drove uh, to Anaheim, which was only about you know twenty minutes from where we were going to college, and we had to park so far away because there was just nowhere to park. And we walked and walked and walked down these kind of city you know streets, and came across this crowd of people trying to get into this warehouse. And a lot of them were wearing kind of biker outfits or what would stereotypically be seen as kind of like uh, Latino gangs or something, you know, just kind of that clothing style. And then we took a seat in some bleachers in this warehouse and the sides of the warehouse were open because it was kind of hot and they had it opened up. And there was this hip hop rap music that was blaring from these speakers and the music was of, Familiar tunes, but they had changed the lyrics to Mm. be around, you know, Christian themes. And uh, then, of course, he got up and, you know, it's very charismatic, as you said, and gave a message. And we kind of hung around afterwards just to kind of see what was going on. And I was within, you know, 10, 15 feet of this group of people kind of pressing around him because this husband and wife wanted to kind of renew their vows as a wedding, you know, like a couple. Yeah. And so right in the middle of the parking lot, he does this vow renewal ceremony with her in this wedding dress, totally unplanned. Obviously the couple, you know, just kind of came across him and I'm watching this and it was just, it blew my mind. It definitely blew my mind. I never actually went back to the church because it was something that was just kind of outside my comfort zone. But they had hip hop dancers that came to our college because we had chapel at our college that we would go to, and they would come, you know, maybe once a year. And uh, I really did not, I followed his story in the newspaper from time to time. And then I ended up um, getting uh ordering a book of his his memoir in uh like 2009 i believe mm. and um ironically um the book never showed up and so i ended up emailing his son and said hey the book never showed up um can i get another one but i'd i'd love to trade him my memoir uh and so i ended up shipping him a copy of my book and we ended up connecting, going out to lunch, and uh, kind of became friends. And so was just a wild, wild ride. You know, the, the full title of your movie is Set Free Posse, Jesus
0: Freak, Spiker Gang, or Christian Cult. And with a tagline like that, I'd imagine there is so much so much to draw from in regards to Phil's story and the story of his ministry, the controversy surrounding it and such. What really drew you to him uh, to want to tell his story? Was it the controversial aspect of it or more towards the ministry
1: side of it? All of it. All of it. His story is absolutely amazing, Matt, because of you know, just his down and out being in prison because of drug charges and having issues. And then this radical conversion to Christianity and him wanting to do something unique. And it just exploded. I mean, you, I have, uh, I was actually a pastor for 10 years Mm -hmm. and uh, I've been out of the ministry for about 12 and you can't like orchestrate those things to happen. There's something that's just um serendipitous and divine and powerful that when all these things come together and all these people are attracted to a ministry and so it's really amazing to see the impact that he made but also the challenges that he personally had and um so I can relate to some of those challenges in my own life um and so I I I found a, a kindred spirit in a sense with him um I think that uh you know he's got some flaws like we all do, but he is, uh, so, um, passionate about helping people transform their life and get out of drugs and alcohol and violence and really, um, get on a path that he believes God intended for them to have. So.
0: When it comes to the evolution of that kind of preaching, so I'm Catholic, so my experience when I go to church is vastly different to what you explained <laughs> was Phil's experience. But what's really interesting is that when you were talking about how you first went into that warehouse and it was the music and everything else and It seems to me that that kind of stuff is more normal now than it would have been back then. Was he sort of like a a trailblazer in regards to different ways of preaching and reaching out to people, not
1: only in him, in his personality, but in the delivery that he did it within? 100%. Total trailblazer. I mean, things that, you know, things that would be kind of more normal in Christian churches. And I, obviously that's different than a Catholic church because that's much more liturgical and, you know, traditional in that regard, but things that maybe other Christian churches that are on the edge of trying to connect with people who are disinterested in church, these things would be normal today where he really pushed the envelope and helped people catch a vision for doing something, you know, really different. It just, it's, it's pretty amazing. And, and, you know, I, maybe we'll get to this, but the because of my relationship with Phil, he allowed me to have access to all the archives of the video footage. And they took so much video hmm. from both for television purposes and just behind the scenes. And um, I was in his garage for hours at a time sorting through videotapes and looking at VHS tapes and beta tapes um, trying to find footage that I felt like would really you know encompass the story. Um, that's the only way that I was able to do that was because he trusted me to tell the story in a way that I think honored him, honored his legacy, um, integrated some of his challenges, but really showed his heart.
0: I think what's really remarkable about Phil is that he really did reach out to people who were desperately in need. Um, people would just come out of prison. He would take him to his home. Like I think the numbers are like 20 to 30 at a time. We'll leave it inside his actual home. And He will later on, as the church grew, he was able to get other accommodation and house some people, drug um, people with drug addictions, um, other people in the fringes of society. And you mentioned before you were a pastor, and I imagine taking on that kind of position, that kind of role, brings with it all sorts of pressures because you're dealing with people, um, all kinds of people. But in Phil's case, he's dealing with people of a particular. Uh, or particular on the fringes, and with that comes dangers and temptations that Phil himself acknowledged. You know, can go wrong for him because he himself was a was a drug addict. He himself was a was in, in prison. All these kind of things. I, I mean, I imagine every day while he's trying to help people out, it would have been a struggle for him. And more than once, he he fell for that struggle.
1: Yeah, you know. One of the biggest um, things that people comment about Set Free and say that it's a cult was mainly because of his charismatic um, way of living and communicating and the power in which he lived his life. If you have several hundred people in group homes and they're struggling, like you said, with uh, relapsing or violence or these different things, you know, Phil and his staff had to be very black and white in terms of what was okay and what was not okay. Where, you know, maybe in the life of somebody who is not struggling with those types of issues, there's more of a a tender touch of, you know, Hey, what are you feeling? What are you thinking? Let's process this. No, no, no. That's not how he was, you know, he could do that because if you've got hundreds of people that are on the verge of relapse and, you know, trying to figure out their life, he had to have a very strong, strong leadership style. And I think for people who haven't come out of that background, who don't realize the need for someone to stay on the right path, they don't understand that type of leadership style. And I think that's one of the areas where he got misunderstood. I'm really interested as well about the
0: climate of the time in Los Angeles, um, in America as a whole, when these accusations came forward towards um, Phil and the um, Set Free Ministry in regards of him being a cult leader and uh, the church uh, being uh, a cult. And at the time, there were all these things happening all over the news. So you had like the Branch Davidians and the whole kind of Waco thing. Not long after that, they had the the whole Heaven's Gate kind of suicide as well. Cults were very heavy on the news. They were like really in the ether. Did that kind of environment you think had an impact on the accusations? Was it almost kind of like a kind of satanic panic kind of thing in the 80s? Was that going on in the 90s as well, where people were really highly suspicious? And because of that, a lot of people, innocent people got caught um, in um, in the crossfire?
1: It's actually um, a segment of Christianity that would be kind of cult busters, you know, people that want to um, really make sure that nobody is straying from what they would say would be the true way of being a follower of Jesus. And that um, mainly flowed from a, a movement of churches called Calvary Chapel. Hmm. And Calvary Chapel started out as uh, a church here in Costa Mesa, right where I live, with Chuck Smith, where they were embracing people that would be considered hippies, you know, and really embracing a kind of a different culture. And this is prior to the 80s, of course, in the 70s. Um, But that church began to become more and more conservative and began to, I believe, um, propagate a fear-oriented theology. Hmm. So Phil's theology is a um, uh, very—it's all about Jesus, but it's really grace-oriented. It's heavy on grace and heavy on, like, let's keep moving forward, where I think Calvary Chapel back in the day, and maybe even so now, is a bit more— tight in terms of like, this is the way that we do church. This is the way that you follow Jesus. And if it steps outside of that, um, we're going to kind of come after you. And that was definitely the flavor of what was going on in the late 80s, early 90s.
0: You said before that you were following Phil's story um, in the paper, and at the time, the press for him wasn't the best. And especially, like you said, that um, you ordered his book in 2009. a year before that was the altercation between the set Free people and the Hells Angels, which became, became a huge kind of thing as well in his life. Um, right. When you are soaking all of this in, and you're comparing that to the first time you saw him in church, and then afterwards, when you meet, when you come, when you meet again, and you discuss this project, what is going through your mind in regards to trying to what's the word, Look, at, trying to find that balance between the person people say Phil is and the person Phil really is. Especially after meeting him and hanging out with him for such a long time and making your film, I imagine that uh, you will look at the processes of you know news etc. in a much more different light.
1: Yeah, you know, I guess I I have a, a belief one that the media is looking for something to sell newspapers and sell ads, you know, so they're going to go after the sizzling sensational approach for first of all. Secondly, um, I also know that when people are in high stress situations, they can do things that they may not normally do when they're in a more healthy um, zone of life. And so I think because of the amount of stress that was coming on Phil, especially with people saying he was a cult and, you know, just the all the expansion of the church, I think that, um, you know, he probably made some decisions there that he wished he would not have. Um, I, I, I also see that people um, grow and change over time, you know, and um, they have uh, life transformations. I think— in the late um 2000s as set free church began to transform into more of what would be called set free soldiers which was kind of a, a biker motorcycle club that was primarily you know for men to be a part of this kind of hardcore way of following jesus but they also dressed the part of looking like kind of a one percenter biker gang yeah and i think when you are trying to, um, integrate two worlds. One world is let's follow Jesus and be real hardcore about that. But let's also kind of play in the world where we look badass and kind of want to kind of right, be there on the edge. They ended up, you know, getting in a, in a, in a messy altercation there. And, um, but I will say that I just, when I have gotten to know Phil, um, He has his own way of doing things, Matt. He likes things to be done a certain way. He's very Mm -hmm. um, uh, direct about like, nope, this is what I do. And this is what I want to do. And that's fine. Like that's him. That's his leadership style. But his heart is a heart of gold. He will pull somebody out of a ditch and help them. Like literally right now in 2021, he has people living at his house um, because they need to get off drugs. like even now. And he's like in his early seventies. And so, uh, he just has a heart of gold. He's gone through lots of different ups, downs and twists and turns. And, um, I, I, I know that he's learned a ton, impacted literally hundreds of thousands of lives, and he will keep impacting lives until the day he passes for sure.
0: Your work as a filmmaker, you've, started doing documentaries and such back in like in 2012 and the subjects that you have followed can be really hard for people to, to, I think, um, you know, you really go into the fringes as well. I mean, you had documentaries that deal with um, sex trafficking uh, you had a documentary that dealt with um on orphans in India, and now you have what we're talking about here, Seth Free Posse, and all the controversies and stuff that come from that. What are you hoping to achieve in your filmmaking in your filmmaking career, um, especially in regards to the stories that you choose and you're hoping to
1: present to the world? You know, Matt, I think I've made the wrong choice. I need to start choosing light and bright <laughs> films. <laughs> when you when you talk about an intense subject, um, you know it, uh, it gets a little less um, airplay, you know, because it is it, they can be challenging, you know, subjects. I think the reason why these subjects have caught my attention is because there is an aspect of justice inside of me where I want to see um, I want people to be aware of a problem or an injustice. And then I want them to see it, become aware of it. And then hopefully, they now that they're educated, they would take action in some way in their life. So the first film, the whole reason why I got into filmmaking was because I wanted to draw people's awareness to the issue of orphans in India. I'd been to India nine or 10 times for mm. humanitarian work. And I just saw this huge amount Um, UNICEF indicates there's 31 million orphans in the nation of India. Mm. And so um, I've seen them living on the streets many times. And so that's why we did that film is to just follow a group of orphans along the, you know, along a railway for a couple of weeks. And the name of that film is Mother India Life Through the Eyes of the Orphan. And um, it was on Netflix for a couple of years. And that's one of the things that kind of got me into filmmaking because it got distribution. It was on Netflix. And I thought, oh my goodness, this is easy. I got to do another film to get on Netflix. And Netflix then changed their business model quite a bit after that to not be acquiring independent um, documentaries as much. So I haven't been able to get a film on there since then. But um, yeah, I think it's just the sense of injustice inside of me that's like, no, we need to see this issue. You need to be aware of it. need to be educated on it. And I'd love for you to take action on it. That's really what all four of my films have been driven by.
0: What are you hoping people will get
1: from Phil, Phil's um, story um, in your movie? You know, um, two things. One, uh, that they would see an inside, kind of an a, a, I guess a behind the scenes um, journey of him and the church, and that um, in a way, it's so easy to judge people from the outside, whether we're judging a leader, like Phil, or we're judging an organization like Set Free Church, or we're judging the people that are drawn to that organization, like the people that were attenders, and go, ooh, they're bad, dirty, you know, uh, kind of um, on the fringes kind of people. And I want people to go, no, 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 these are just people. Yep. These are just people like you and me who have hopes and dreams and desires to have a great family and feel um, okay. He's got challenges. I've got challenges. You've got challenges. When someone is um, on a stage of that size, then their challenges get magnified because they're in front of everybody. Right. But my challenges are, you know, challenges too. So that's the first thing that, hey, Let's, let's let's actually see people for, for amazing human beings, not just the surface of what you may see when you're driving by or um, you see somebody on television or something like that. Um, the second is that people would then have compassion for people in their life that are struggling with uh, either mental challenges or substance abuse challenges. Um, that it can be so easy for us to judge people, um, for those issues and go, "Mm, how do we have compassion? How do we, um, be proactive in getting them to get help that they need? Um, but, uh, really come up from a place of compassion for, for individuals that are struggling because, um, it's hard. It's very hard. So, and several of, several of the people that you, uh, see in the, um, the black sheep home that we feature, the the recovery home, have actually passed away um, mm. since the making of this film.
0: Mm. I think something that I really took from the movie um, as well was that the people who really do put themselves out there and put themselves on the line, <clears throat> their money, their resources, their reputation to try to help other people, especially in the name of Jesus, I think um, they should be, really be not you know, they really should be embraced. Uh, I really do think that. And I I think that's uh, something that really comes out uh, from this movie. Uh, So everyone listening, uh, Set 3 Posse releases February 5. It's going to be available on digital. You can watch on Amazon Prime, Tubi, Docurama, Raku, many more. And David
1: Trotter, I thank you very much for your time today and congratulations with the documentary. Thanks so much, Matt. It's been great to talk to you.